Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden, and joining me today is not Ovi Mahaley. Unfortunately, Ovi is uh, feeling a little under the weather right now, but I am pleased to be joined by none other than Evan Birchfield of The Falcoholic. Evan, you do so many things for The Falcoholic that I, off the top of my head, I can't <laughs> even name them all. Like, what Can you fill us in? What, what all do you do? Uh, with Falcoholic, because it seems like you have your hand in everything. Yeah, um, I'm bad to volunteer for pretty much anything that's offered. So then I take on more <laughs> than I probably should. But uh, I help out with social media. I help out with, I do the injury reports throughout the week, um, fantasy article on Friday. And then on the weekends, I help out with social media on Facebook. And, and I'm always doing the Instagram also. But uh, yeah, a bit of a downgrade from a veteran fullback to uh, <laughs> Evan Birchfield, but I'm sorry, folks, but uh, it is hate week with the Saints, so let's get into it. Evan, how would you do leading the way for um, Mike Davis on uh, just a halfback <laughs> ISO? Uh, not as good as Ovi, but um, <laughs> I actually, I'd probably get very, very hurt. I'm, I'm only like 5'10", 170 pounds, so... It's probably not who you want leading the way, um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way linebackers are these days, I'm sure, sure that uh, is you true. Know, they're more fast <laughs> than physical, right? So you got a right. chance. Um, <laughs> but we are going to be talking about uh, the Atlanta Falcons who hope to have a chance this weekend as they head to New Orleans and take on the New Orleans Saints who, you know, by golly, they just, they persist. They, they stick around mm. Drew Brees without Drew Brees. Uh, they find ways to win games. Michael Thomas has not played for them all season long and won't, as we learned this week. He is done for the year um, because of a new issue with his ankle. Uh, but nevertheless, the Saints are 5-2, and two, and they found a way to win last week against Tampa Bay, the defending Super Bowl champions, who were 6-1 and one heading into that matchup despite losing Jameis Winston. Um, Evan, I mean... What what have what's been your impression of the Saints so far this year? I mean, they're just a weird team. Um, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. I mean, they started the season. Uh, I mean, with really high standards. When you play the Green Bay Packers, who going into the season probably a lot of folks thought would be a, a top team in the NFC, and to this point, they've kind of proven that. And you just throttle them thirty-eight to three. I mean, it was crazy. They didn't allow. On defense, they allowed only 43 yards rushing, which, yeah. you know, Aaron Jones fantasy owners were upset about. Uh, just included. a tough, yeah, just a tough game to start out. But um, I mean, not for obviously not for New Orleans, but for the Packers. <laughs> and then the very next week, um, you know, traveling to Carolina and losing 26 to 7, con- you know, just an absolute flip of the script. Um, it's like every game's just up and down for them. Uh, since a bye week, I think they've been a little more solid uh, playing Seattle. You know, obviously with no Russell Wilson, you would think they would have done better there, but they only won by three points. And then uh, obviously last week, uh, losing their starting quarterback for the season, Trevor, Trevor Simeon comes in and they still beat the, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defending Super Bowl champions 36 um, 27. Yeah, it, it's just a weird team overall. Uh, I don't I don't know how else to explain them. Um, but yeah, (laughs) well, I I think that, I think that the winning in and of itself is enough of an explanation because let's not forget Jameis Winston has been the quarterback of the New Orleans saints for all of the season up until this upcoming game when he got, uh, hurt against Tampa Bay. Unfortunately, we'll miss the rest of the year, but it's not like Jameis Winston is known, uh, as the model of consistency in the NFL and 
he has led plenty of talented teams over the years to records uh, that you would not expect a team as talented on paper as, as Tampa Bay was at times to really have. So I think it's, it's a real credit to the Saints infrastructure, the uh, overall talent of their team in all three phases, and really Sean Payton that they've still managed to be right up there with the mm-hmm. NFC contenders. I mean, they're five and two. That, that, that's yep. as good as pretty much anybody at this point. Um, and they've done it in a lot of different ways. I mean, adaptability is really, I think, the calling card right now uh, for the New Orleans Saints under Sean Payton at this point in his career. And Arthur Smith said that uh, this is a hornet's nest that the Falcons are going into. Uh, that it's a road game. We know how crazy, intense New Orleans can be, especially when it's the Falcons coming into town and it's starting to feel like it's a game that the Falcons really, really need to win um, if they're going to kind of stay in the hunt this season as they were for the first kind of quarter, quarter and a a third maybe. Um, But we will dive into all of that much more in detail. Uh, But first, let's hear a word from today's sponsor. We know you're listening to a football podcast, but basketball season is firing right back up and the Hawks are good now. Who, I mean, who's excited for that? So just wanted to take a second and let you guys all know that BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the basketball season, along with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. I mean, what else do you want there? So check it out this basketball season and... Who knows, maybe uh, make a few smart bets on the Hawks while you're at it. I think this could be a really fun year, guys. Trey Young could be the real deal here in Atlanta, and this is a really good young team. So just remember that BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Believe 50, that's B-L-E-A-V 50, to receive your welcome bonus. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. So remember, bet online is where the game starts. All right, Evan, as we get into uh, this matchup more specifically, I really, the more I've thought about it, I really think that kind of the matchup of this game is going to be Dean Pease and Sean Payton. Um, I think that Sean Payton reminded everybody, he is reminding everybody this season just how good he is with the work that he's done with Jameis Winston. But specifically on Sunday, um, what he was able to do with kind of Trevor Simeon and just making the offense not great. I mean, the reason the, the Saints won that game was kind of their defense and just forcing a lot of turnovers. But Sean Payton was able to get the offense to do enough uh, to put up some points without Jameis Winston on the field. And Dean Pease has been in the league for as long as most coordinators, uh, I, you know, more than most coordinators, I should say. And his resume is as good as pretty much any coordinator uh, on the defensive side of the ball in NFL history. Uh, and we know what Sean Payton can do. So what do you think about this uh, Atlanta defensive matchup going against uh, New Orleans offense that we don't necessarily know what it's going to look like at the quarterback position, but it's been very Alva Camara or Alvin Camara centric um, mm-hmm. so far this season. Yeah. I mean, when I look at it broadly, trying to figure out where the Falcons might struggle, I think for the saints to win this game, um, it's going to come on the ground. No, no disrespect to their receiving options. I think Marquez Callaway's, you know, a solid young receiver, um, uh, little Jordan Humphrey. I mean, there's just like not a lot of talent there. Uh, tight end is insanely weak for them. But as you mentioned, Kamara, um, he can do it do it all, you know, through the air on the ground. Um, getting Taysom Hill more reps, I think, is going to be big for them because, you know, we unfortunately the Falcons are uh, recorded as being his first passing touchdown since he was in high school, and that happened uh, when he took over for Drew Brees, who missed some time last year. Um, it's just going to be tough. And you know, we all know what Taysom Hill can do on the ground. Um, and we saw what happened when the Falcons had to, um, what the, all, all season when they play mobile quarterbacks. Um, yep. You saw last week, you know, Sam Darnold, who I don't think anyone would just 
classify him as a mobile quarterback, but he was having his way with the Falcons until, you know, he, he literally got comfortable running. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but he <laughs> ran straight into Foy Luikan, who basically knocked him out of the game. Um, yeah. But up until that point, he was having his way on the ground, just rushing. Um, so I can only imagine how Taysom Hill's going to do. No, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think that we obviously saw Taysom Hill uh, beat the Falcons twice uh, yeah. in, in his career so far. And I mean, it's not, it really is not the quarterback situation that I think any Falcons fan frankly, should be focused on right now. This is not a New Orleans team that has been winning in the fashion of old New Orleans teams. This is not your your Drew Brees, New Orleans Saints offense. I mean, what they've been doing has been really, really Alvin Kamara focused, which is why they're, they're ninth in rushing offense, but they're 31st in passing yards per game so far this mm-hmm. season. I mean, that's unheard of when we're talking about the New Orleans Saints. And yet they're still five and two. And so that shows you really the completeness of this team. And it's because of the defense. I mean, I really think that the key um, for Atlanta to win this game is to keep the Saints offense uh, from from putting up, honestly, any more than probably like 17 points. Yeah, I, I like I kind of think that that is your your threshold if you're a Falcons fan because I expect the Saints defense to really kind of keep the lid on this Atlanta offense mm-hmm. because they've been so good this year. I mean, we're we're talking about not necessarily from a sack standpoint, but I mentioned the turnovers and they just do not give up yards. They don't give up explosive plays, especially on uh, the ground. Yes, they're only, so only good one on, on the only run. one uh game did they allow more than 100 yards rushing. Um and that was against Washington. Aside from that, and that's not just that's not talking about a run running back. That's team overall. They've only allowed uh, one game where it was 131 yards to Washington. All the other games have been below uh, 90 yards rushing. Yeah, they're they're second in the NFL right now in rushing yards per game. Uh, yeah. They're they're fourth in points per game. Uh, like I said, they're first in in red zone touchdowns allowed. So I mean. The Falcons offense has been efficient because, frankly, they've not been explosive. Um, and I've, I did a little bit of research because I was just curious because to my eye, watching this offense, I was like, how, how are they in these games? How are they putting up 30 points? Because they're not doing it in, in really any kind of like a flashy way. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. You've got the odd Corderell Patterson getting open for a 36-yard touchdown because you know, maybe a linebacker didn't carry him and the safety got distracted by somebody on the outside. And so, boom, he scores free and, and there's an easy touchdown. They've had that a couple of times this year, but this hasn't felt like an explosive offense and it hasn't been. Um, in, their, in their losses, in their four losses this year, uh, their pass plays, they've only had seven, which is second worst in the league. Now, in their three wins, They've had 13, which is 15th. And so as I think this offense tries to find its identity, obviously the loss of of Calvin Ridley for this game, supposedly, and and for the foreseeable future hurts that. But the offense can't just afford to try to string along drives, get some 12 to 14 play drives, and win these like 24-21 games. I think there are going to be some times where they've got to air it out. They've got to be able to give Matt Ryan time, and they've got to have players downfield to take advantage of the matchups. Um, But I worry that this Saints game isn't going to be the best time for that because of the line of scrimmage. And we saw the Falcons really struggle against the Panthers down there. What do you see in the line of scrimmage um, in this game, Evan? I think it's going to be tough, uh, especially for Atlanta. I mean, there's a lot of young guys between Matt Hennessy and Jalen Mayfield, who's been, you know, really trying to learn that left guard spot. And he's earned enough to where they haven't tried replacing him with Josh Andrews um, since he's been back. It seems like pretty much as long as Mayfield doesn't have a complete disaster of a game like week one, um, even then, I don't know if they would bench him. I think that they just want him to learn. You and I trust... You and I trust the PFF grades. Right. Um, 
but they've been notoriously bad on Jalen Mayfield. I think he's the second worst uh, graded guard right now on PFF. Mm -hmm. Do you, how do you, how do we weight that? Because I think you and I, based on the eye test, he's gotten Mm -hmm. better. I mean, he's he's certainly not as bad as he was in week one, but PFF keeps rating him really poorly. I mean, how, how are you personally? Cause I'm curious, like weighting those two things. Yeah. I mean, over the, over the past um, or the first three weeks, it's like that first game, I think his his blocking was like a 1.4. It was like mm-hmm. the worst. I, I've never even seen a grade that low in general. Um, I didn't know but, it was possible. <laughs> yeah. And then I think it jumped to like 30, um, a 30 point something and then like a 40 or 50 the next week. So it was noticeably getting better. Um, I I haven't been too hard on him just because understanding how difficult that position is to play on the offensive line, especially when it's a totally different position at Michigan, he played right tackle. And then all of a sudden he's playing left guard, which is on the complete opposite side of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and next to you, it's, it'd be a little different. I think if he had like a veteran, like Alex Mack at center, but Matt Hennessy at that point was maybe starting in week one, maybe his third or fourth game as a center. Yeah. For the Falcons. I think, yeah. I think it was like his, third like he i know he i think he started the chiefs game yeah in and tampa. Then maybe the tampa bay game yeah. yeah so it's like he himself um you know that center position so important to the rest of the line and yep. he's trying to learn it um so you he's got played two well guys. too yeah he has and that's why like it's it's kind of sad to see um you know fans and stuff attack him because it's you got to understand like these guys are learning their jobs still um yeah. i mean normally with offensive linemen that young it's not till about, you know, the probably the third year where you're seeing them really understand it. I think you're seeing that with Chris Lindstrom right now, who's being one of the best guards um, in the NFL. And, you know, PFF's backing that up. He, yeah. I, I believe for right guard, he's like second or third um, overall, like as a right guard. So, it, I mean, you it's, just got to... It's, it's not as though the Falcons offensive line has been bad. So that's, right. that's where, like, I think that for those that look at... at Pro Football Focus, PFF, mm-hmm. as, as we're saying, that was what was so interesting because the Falcons have only given up 12 sacks so far yeah. this year, which is 24th tied with the Saints, who have a really good offensive line. I mean, when you talk about good offensive lines in the league with Ryan Ramchek and Teron Armstead, and I like Aaron McCoy, Eric McCoy a lot, um, I, I like the Saints offensive line. Mm-hmm. Saints have been, or Falcons have been just as good in pass protection. And in the run game, it's it's not you know, uh, amazing right now, but they're still kind of getting the yards per play that would be higher than the yards per game would suggest. And so I think a lot of Falcons fans are probably looking at the offensive line this year, last game aside, uh, pretty positively. So so that's where Mm -hmm. I I have a hard time looking at Jalen Mayfield as as a negative. Yeah, even because I don't know if PFF has rated a Falcons offensive lineman this low in a long time yet the result of the net group is much better right and, and I, that's the important thing to keep in mind is like with pff um you know use it as a maybe like a little reference but don't take it as like a definite um they're you know some of their grades all the time i'm i'm questioning um but you know I, i'm not exactly sure of their formula on how they get you know Jalen mayfield to have a 1.4 pass blocking grade as opposed to maybe like a 20 i'm not sure but because both sound pretty pretty awful to me but um yeah i wouldn't take it you know as anything more than just like a, oh okay um because it, it's he's young he's going to keep growing um if you were expecting him to come out of the gate with like an elite grade like uh kyle pitts i believe against the jets um he had a he had his first elite grade it was like the best tight end of the week for pff yep. Which in that case, it makes sense. Like he had a really good game. Um, so it makes sense there. But when it comes to blocking and guards and stuff, I, I wouldn't put too much stock into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but one spot where we probably can put a good amount of stock uh, into it mm-hmm. would be at the cornerback position. And that's with AJ Terrell. Uh, because, God. Dude's lighting it up this year. Yeah. He's, uh, I mean, in every conceivable mark that you want to throw at him. I, we, I think I referenced last week on the podcast uh, in man coverage among players with 50 plus snaps in man coverage. He's the only person 
to not uh, allow a reception. That was true last week. Not sure about this week, but um, I did see, I believe today, that he has the third lowest passer rating against um, for opposing quarterbacks mm-hmm. this season. I believe Trayvon Diggs was one of the two players above him. I can't remember who the other one was, but it was another kind of like all-star cornerback. So he's making that jump. Like AJ yeah. Terrell is now in the league with some of the very best cornerbacks in the NFL. And I think that as we look at this defense, that's really important to evaluate because I the forever uh, the past couple of years, the Falcons have been sneakily a good run defense. Their past defense has just been atrocious. Mm-hmm. This year, that's kind of flipped. And we're seeing the past defense hold some opposing offenses. Now, granted, some of the worst offenses in the league with some of the worst quarterbacks in the league at the helm. But holding some of these pass offenses um, down a little bit, the run defense has left a lot to be desired. Uh, how much do you think Atlanta's uh, secondary is going to come into play on Sunday? Um, I think it'll be huge either way. Um, as you were saying, Terrell just, I mean, he's been one of the few bright spots um, on this team in general. Um, the way he's just, you know, he's so young too, and he's going to keep growing. The only thing, you know, that can stop him is literally him not being on the field because of injuries. He's had some yeah. recent injuries, but the one thing I've noticed with Terrell is when he's out there, um, the defense is so much better than when, and, and I'm not saying they're great or anything, but the second he leaves, it's almost like the defense falls apart. Like against Tampa in week two, that's where he, um, he left the game with a concussion. The game was relatively close. I believe it was like 25 to 25 or something. And then he left and it just got out of hand. Um, and then I believe that happened against maybe Miami um, where he left with the neck injury. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Terrell, I mean, it's just something to be excited about this season. Last uh, last week against Panthers, um, he allowed negative one yards. Like That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Falcons defense it's going to be I don't it's going to be tough I, I I want to be excited heading into this game um because of all the components that the Saints are going to be without normally if you were to say a team being without their starting quarterback and you know obviously Michael Thomas done for the season as you mentioned um their starting re- their number one receiver you would think okay yeah. well I, I feel pretty good about this secondary um but I, I think Marquez Callaway, he's sneaky good. Um, if and given Trey, the, Trey Con Smith came yeah. back for the Saints, and and he had a really good game, I think, against Tampa Bay. Yeah, and and, and I mean, like through the air, Jawan Johnson. There's been some flash games where he's more of like a Kyle Pitts type of tight end, where it's primarily just for receiving. Um, yeah, and, and Deontay Harris too. I think he could he could be useful, and and the Falcons secondary, I think. You know what's really going to help them is if they're they're able to apply pressure. Um, if they're able to get to if let's assume Simeon is their primary quarterback on Sunday, and T- Taysom Hill just kind of keeps his normal role that he's had all season. Are they able to get home on the defensive front? I don't know that they will be able to. Um, I think Dante Fowler's kind of been the the guy who's stepped up the most this year, um, outside of Grady Jarrett, obviously. But Grady Jarrett can't do it alone. Yep. It's just hard for me to think that they're going to have, you know, their way through the air. Um, I mean, in the secondary on Sunday, but I'm as long as Terrell's out there, I think they've got a chance cuz he's just he's made the defense so much better. Yeah, he definitely has, but here's what I would look for on Sunday because this has kind of been what what the Saints have been um all season long, really quick passes out into the flat, get the guys in space, you know, you're not relying like Michael Thomas is out. He's a great route runner, despite all the all the slant jokes and and all of that. Mm-hmm. The reason he's good at short yardage things is because he can win really quickly with his footwork and his his routes. Uh, the Saints don't really have anybody else like that on the roster. Maybe outside of Kamara, but he's obviously being utilized in all of these roles, so he can't um, you know specialize in any single one. So the Saints have been getting the ball out quickly. Uh, that's also to mitigate Jameis's kind of tendency to throw the ball up for grabs. And now it's probably to mitigate the time that it's in either Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill's hands. Uh, and so they're going to mm-hmm. get it out quickly, which 
is not going to help Atlanta's pass rush, which is currently worst in the league uh, with 10 sacks. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Um, But they just, like you said, haven't been able to get a lot of pressure with Dante Fowler out. Um, And as Dean Pease kind of mentioned a couple weeks ago with the way that it seems like the implementation of the scheme and the nuances of the scheme going a little bit slower maybe than planned. Um, So I don't know if they're generating the type of pressure via uh, different blitz packages as they might otherwise. Um, So we'll just see when it comes to all that. But I do think, and Evan, this could be the last little bit maybe before we get to some rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you agree with me that kind of, I think the path to victory for Atlanta here really does start on defense. If you're able to kind of suppress the Saints offense and then for the Falcons offensively, New Orleans defense is amazing, but they are amazing in part because they create so many turnovers and they've got Richard Smith is now their uh, defensive coordinator or, or secondaries coach um, and is a disciple of the Dan Quinn, Pete Carroll, um, Gus Bradley philosophy, which is the ball is everything. They want to create turnovers. They've been able to do so. They did three times against Tom Brady, which is really why the Saints won that game. It had nothing to do kind of with their offense. It was more with their defense, including a pick six. Um, But Atlanta's defense kind of doing what they did to Carolina and allowing Atlanta to get right on offense because I think they're going to struggle to do so a little bit, but they potentially can on Sunday. Am I thinking in the right, you know, kind of direction or do you see another way that Atlanta can win this game. For me, it all starts with Kamara. I think he's just going to be such a focal point of that offense. And he's had success against the Falcons in the past. But, you know, I I assume Deion Jones, he's had some, um, he's covered him in the past and done pretty well considering, I mean, Kamara's just one of those rare talents who, Mm -hmm. similar to like Cordero Patterson, where like he can be a threat on the ground or through the air. Um, If they stop him, I mean, (laughs) I think it's over. Um, the other yeah. thing for the Falcons is if Kyle Pitts comes out and has a, you know, like he did against Carolina, have a two reception, 13 yard day. I think that's going to be rough for the Falcons. Um, I think the Falcons need to make this kind of not like a shootout, but like they can't put up 10 or 13 and think they're going to win this game. I think the saints um, on the ground are just going to have success where if the Falcons offense kind of stumbles out of the gate, um, as you mentioned, not having uh, probably not having Ridley on Sunday, uh, Cordero Patterson, I think what's made him so great is how he can kind of be used in the backfield and come out as a receiver. I think they're going to have to rely on him more through the air. Um, that's why, like, against Panthers, you saw more balance as opposed to um, the previous week where it was pretty much the Cordero Patterson on the ground show. Mike Davis had, I think, four carries. But against Carolina, yeah. it was more balanced because they they needed Patterson through the air. He, had, uh, he tied for... Him and Davis both had five receptions, which was tied for the most receptions on the team. And um, they, they combined for the for nine carries, I think. Yeah, each. I know. It's like they're yeah. combining to be one running back. More um, balance. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, if the if the Falcons can make this a game, because the thing with the with uh, the Saints is they're not allowing teams to score like in the 30s or anything. Like they at this to this they're, point, they have the best red zone defense yeah. in the league. Right. I mean, they they are not allowing touchdowns this year. They have the fourth best scoring defense in the. This is a very. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL that the Falcons mm-hmm. are going up against. And the Panthers were, uh, I I personally think they're a really good defense. Yeah. But just for the sake of of public perception, we can say they're an above average defense. I think mm-hmm. in the public eye. The Falcons scored 13 points against them. I mean, yeah. weird. And this is a legitimate, like, they have switched identities. The Saints are no longer an offensive team. They are a defensive team. They haven't allowed more than 27 points in a game this season, um, which I wish I could say the same about the Falcons. <laughs> but that is not the case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, to answer your question, it's going to be if they can you're not going to stop Kamara unless he leaves with an injury or something, which you don't want people getting hurt. But if they can just kind of limit him to where he's not having three touchdowns or something, because the offense is going to go through him. I know Taysom Hill's coming back and he's going to play a part in it, but Kamara is 
going to be the focal point of that offense. The same way, you know, Cordero Patterson some weeks is a focal point for the Falcons. And then, you know, how we saw Kyle Pitts thrive against the Jets. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. All right. We will get to the uh, mailbag here in one second, but let's do some rapid fire uh, thoughts on this game. Evan, who needs to have a big game for the Falcons on Sunday? Uh, I'm going to say Kyle Pitts. Um, I think it's going to be fun to just see Kyle Pitts going to go against the Saints uh, for the first time. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, the two receptions, 13 yards, he can't have a, you know, kind of a quiet day. The Falcons have any uh, hopes of winning. He needs to be a focal point. I do wonder, you know, against Panthers, they seem to put Stephon Gilmore um, on uh, to help cover him more. Um, usually you'd see linebackers for normal teams kind of covering the tight ends and stuff. I wonder if teams are going to look at that and go, okay, well then, you know, for the Saints, they're going to put Marshawn Lattimore on. Because Kyle Pitts is, without Ridley on the field, Kyle Pitts is, you know, without a doubt, the best receiving option the Falcons have. No offense to Tajay Sharp or uh, Marvin Hall or, you know, whoever. Alameda Zacchaeus. Kyle Pitts is a focal point when it's coming through the air. Um, so that I think that'll be kind of something to keep an eye on. Who's actually guarding Pitts? And then if, for some reason, they shut Pitts down, Patterson needs to have an incredible day. Um, I mean, he 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 did well against the Panthers, considering when you look at the stats. But yeah. he's going to have to get in the end zone at least twice. Yeah, I mean, Patterson scored the only touchdown against the uh, the Panthers, and yeah. I, I know that earlier I said I think that the defense is going to be responsible, um, kind of for if the Falcons are going to win this game, and and I I stick by that. And if for a, on the defensive side, I would say Grady Jarrett is probably the guy that that needs to get going. He's got mm-hmm. four sacks in his career um, against the Saints. But my official pick is going to be the guy responsible for getting Kyle Pitts and Corderell Patterson the ball, and that's Matt Ryan. Because, yeah. like I said, the the Saints lead uh, the NFL with interceptions so far this year with 11. Tom Brady picked off three times. Uh, the Saints increasingly like to take away the middle of the field um, as downs get later for an offense. On first down, they're fine. They'll, they'll let you get yardage wherever they can they're kind of going to play a base defense second down they're going to take away the deep middle you know if it's second long they're not going to let you get those deep digs those in routes things like that over the middle third down they're going to take away the uh the short range over the middle and really force you to kind of throw the ball short into the flats and not allow anything over the top but matt ryan's best passing comes over the middle that that's where he Mm -hmm. is an elite quarterback is when you are asking him to throw between the hash marks, but throw between the numbers, he can dial in and really launch that ball and get that zip. That's the arm strength that matters with Matt Ryan. Um, so I'm going to be really curious to see how he uh, navigates a defense that wants to take away what he does best and how he also operates with some receivers who aren't as familiar to him. I mean, we're looking now at Kyle Pitts, Tajay Sharp, Russell Gage, he's got some familiarity with, but this is a far departure from Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, and Calvin Ridley. Um, And so let's see what what Matt can do. Um, But Drew Brees is no longer in New Orleans, and Drew Brees gave Atlanta nightmares for years before Matt Ryan arrived on the scene uh, and made it a competition. Let's see if Matt can take advantage um, and pay back New Orleans a little bit now that Drew Brees is out of the picture. Um, all right, Evan, who uh, on New Orleans, what's the scariest part of this matchup for Atlanta? Um, I think it's going to be, a, I don't know how much of a role he's going to play, but Taysom Hill, um, what he's able to do on the ground and then we, we've seen in the past through the air, um, he can throw the ball. This is a defense that has struggled a lot throughout this season and past seasons, um, even in a different regime just against mobile quarterbacks. Um, Taysom Hill, he is the type of quarterback to where if he decides to run the ball, he turns into a running back instantly. Um, He's quick. Um, I think that could be a nasty matchup for this Falcons defense. I completely agree. Um, Obviously, Taysom Hill uh, has given the Falcons some nightmares before, and he reminds me almost of like Grayson Allen. Mm-hmm. from from duke where it's just like kind of a universal everybody just hates this guy <laughs> yeah uh but but as like i'm a north carolina basketball fan so i kind of felt like no he's mine to hate 
Yeah. And, and that's the way I feel with Taysom Hill, where it's like everybody, like everybody, you, you could be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. You could be mm-hmm. a LA Chargers fan. You're just like, you know what? Yeah, no, it's kind of screwed Taysom <laughs> Hill. Well, that guy sucks. Uh, but but it's like, no, no, he's he's ours. We get to him. Right. But and, and what's weird with Taysom you. Hill, when you watch him play and you watch the highlights, it's it's not that he like blows your socks off or something. It's just you're like, why are people not able to tackle this dude? Like you <laughs> right, watch the highlights yeah. and you're all of a sudden people forget how to tackle or something. I don't get it. And it's not just against the Falcons. <laughs> like in general, no, if you look at highlights, perfect. Yeah. If I you look up it. highlights on YouTube after listening to this show, uh, you'll see Taysom Hill just doing stuff and people forgetting <laughs> like how to stop, uh, you know, a running quarterback. <laughs> The best way to like the best way to compare that is like during draft season mm-hmm. when somebody sits there and is just like, no, this dude is a can't miss first round prospect, whatever. And then you flick on the tape and you're just like, really? This guy? <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I don't get it. Why? No. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's kind of the way that you feel watching taste mill. But I completely agree. Um, For me, the scariest part of this matchup matchup is uh, Malcolm Jenkins and mm obviously a big vet in this game. Um, but I think that we saw last week uh, the the two interceptions that Matt threw, I don't really think were entirely Matt's fault. One was over the middle trying to get to Hayden Hurst. I think it was a great play by Shaq Thompson uh, to, to really kind of stretch out and make an athletic grab there. I don't think Matt saw him. So I, I guess we can kind of put that on Matt a little bit. But the second one um, that came from uh, um, Stefan Gilmore, I, I like... I was there in person. It was kind of happening right on mm-hmm. our side of the field. It, it doesn't look like Kyle Pitts um, ran as as shallow. Mm-hmm. He allowed Stephon Gilmore to kind of undercut his outbreaking right. route a little bit. And I think that that was more of a veteran, like savvy move on a rookie. And I worry that Malcolm Jenkins is going to have a lot of those moments, especially as, as I said earlier, that Matt Ryan and his receivers may not be t- entirely in lockstep. Um, so I think you might see a couple of those half second off or half yard off disconnects. And Malcolm Jenkins to me is the, is the type of player at this point in his career that will totally make you pay um, for even the slightest mistake against this defense. Um, so that that worries me for Atlanta's offense. All right, um, Evan, before we get to the mailbag, final prediction for this game. <sighs> it. it- I, I usually have a rule where, like, no matter what, I want the Falcons, you know, I pick the Falcons to win against the Saints just because rivalries, you know, you go back. I know the the Saints have won six of the last seven games, so it's kind of hard to be, like, confident for the Falcons. But just in the overall history of these two teams playing each other, um, record usually doesn't matter. Injuries usually don't matter. Um, whoever's playing, it it's not, you know, really important. They just for some reason, play each other tough um, every time they face off. Um, and with that being said, though, I mean, I, I think the Saints are unfortunately going to win this one. And it's going to be, you know, probably not too close. I was very confident going into last Sunday's game. So naturally, the Falcons kind of crushed <laughs> all my hopes and dreams. Um, but against the Saints, I think it's just going to be tough on the ground to stop Taysom Hill, Kamara, and then whatever they do through the air. Um I think it's going to be tough, you know, on Kyle Pitts being the focal point of the passing game. Um, and, and as much as I love Cordero Patterson, I don't know that he's going to be a, be able to do enough against this defense. That's, as you mentioned, one of the better defenses in the entire NFL. Um, but if I have to put a rec- uh, score on it, I'll say Saints 28, Falcons 17. Oh, God, I hate going second. First off, I agree with everything. <laughs> Is that what you, you were going to say? <laughs> no, I, I was going to say 27-17. But well, that's you still and, different. <laughs> you and Ovi both do this, or I, I give you, I graciously give you the floor, <laughs> and then and then you you wax poetic about uh, just uh, terrific points. I agree with everything you. <laughs> that you said, and then you just fire daggers into my heart with like throwing out the exact same score. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, obviously. 27-17 is, is my thought. I just... I didn't have a great feeling about the Carolina game last week, and I kind of am coming to this point where I think that, yeah, like they've played such an easy schedule so far, mm-hmm. and they've barely managed to beat some of the worst teams in the league. 
that sure, it's great and it's all good that while you're winning, that's acceptable and you expect better days ahead. I just think that maybe we've been lulled into a sense that the progress is happening faster than maybe we should expect. Um, yeah. And that when we get the benefit of the totality of the season and looking back in hindsight, there's a real chance that they're not winning three out of four again this season. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that unfortunately kind of starts, uh, well, maybe last weekend, but definitely this weekend because they've got a, a tough little string of games coming up here. Um, but it, I, who knows? I mean, surprises happen all the time. This will be a big test for Arthur Smith and this staff to see how much they can bounce back and, and refocus. This is not an unbeatable Saints team. The Giants beat them in week four. I mean, it's not, this is the NFL. Anything can happen. But right. uh, Falcons really got to come out and especially on offense, turn things around on Sunday, I think, to to get their fourth win of the season and, and get everything back to 500. But Evan, you want to answer some mailbag questions? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Um, let's see. All right. What's the biggest... What is the Falcons' biggest strength and weakness at this point in the season? Uh, this asker's opinion, uh, weakness would be pass rush, and the strength would be perhaps the red zone offense? Hmm. I would say weakness for everyone should probably be pass rush. It's just I agree. been I agree. awful across the board. Um, the strength is a tough one um, because there's a couple... I, I kind of like the corners, even though they haven't been like the most exciting. I, ju I just think AJ Terrell obviously is a lot to g look forward to into the future. I think Fabian Moreau, you know, he's playing not great, but like I think it's been good enough to where it's not costing them games. Um, but overall, the secondary, I think the safety depth with uh, Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins, especially, um, should leave Falcons fans. You know, maybe not excited for now, but for the future, I think it's very bright. I, I love what I've seen from Jalen Hawkins. He's, I think, the only guy with interceptions on the roster, right? Or am I remembering something? Um, I I think I believe uh, there are some other interceptions so far on this on this roster than just Jalen Hawkins. Yes, Foye Foye had one okay. um, against the Jets. Yeah, where or no Dolphins Dolphins. Sorry. Right. Um, right after Matt Ryan's pick. When okay. it, when but Tua like secondary wise, he's like it, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. I, I, I just it. like what the, what I've seen from the secondary. Um, so I don't know if that's an immediate strength, uh, but obviously Matt Ryan, when he has a good game, the whole team has a good game, it seems like for the most part. So that's probably the strength, at least going against New Orleans. I would most rather have Matt Ryan than Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. Yeah, and, and I, I think that um, I agree with you completely. I think the biggest weakness right now for this team so far continues to be, has always been uh, um, the pass rush. Uh, mm. I think Dante Fowler got off to a great start this season. It sucks. He got hurt again. Uh, I know he was hurt last year, and that it did play a role in his production. Um, but hey, you got to be on the field to produce, and that's kind of what you're being paid for. Uh, like I said, the Falcons are dead last in the league with 10 sacks. They've been getting some pressure, but this this is not a unit uh, that I think really anybody expected to kind of be fixed overnight. It's clear the Falcons believe they have to blitz and manufacture some pressure to be able to get pressure, which is a far cry from what the uh, previous regime thought with trying to pressure with their front four and cover with their back seven. Um, so that's the biggest weakness for me. I think the strength has been... Um, Outside of one specific player, because Corderell Patterson, I, I think you could really make, um, has been the biggest strength, however mm -hmm. you want to use him. Receiver, runner, what have you, red zone, third down. Um, but I've been really impressed with Arthur Smith's ability to kind of manipulate defenses through his personnel packaging and the way, the cadence with which he calls plays. Um, and I, I don't think that we've fully seen, if it's like a seed I think we're like midway through the growth cycle of that seed blossoming because I think that a that has to do with some of the personnel uh, that he has at his disposal. Let's remember, he really only has kind of, I think, two games with Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley uh, working together. Mm -hmm. But 
Also, just as he becomes more comfortable with with his players, with his personnel, and the players become more comfortable with this offense, uh, in the meantime, I think he's done a great job. I, I think that he's utilizing all of the weapons at his disposal, which continue to shrink and grow by the week. Um, so even though his team is three and four, and we may have questions about the overall um, strength of this team week to week, offensively, I think from what he can handle, I like what Arthur Smith has done so far. Um, so I think we we agree with the weakness. Um, I totally agree with with you, Evan. I, I do think the secondary has been a surprise strength. Mm. I don't think we expected that. And then I like what Arthur Smith has done so far. So to answer that question, there we go. Um, at what point of the season should the Falcons start looking at draft position and prioritizing the draft over winning? I'm going to go first, Evan, because this is extremely easy. They shouldn't at all at any yeah. point this season. There, there's one thing to saying, and I have been saying, uh, even while inside the building, the past couple of years, look, when you're one in four, yeah, like your, your chances are not great. And you've been going all in to reach the playoffs the past couple of years. But at some point, you have to add talent. I mean, when you are drafting in the late rounds of the draft each year for a few years in a row, sometimes it's not the worst thing to be back in there in the top 10 um, and add another playmaker who is cheap. And the Falcons had a big cap. So, yeah, at that point, it made sense to start thinking about the draft. Right now, you're trying to build a culture and you have a brand new head coach who is talking about accountability, who is talking about getting better each week. And if you don't actually back that up as an organization and say that winning is our most important thing, both now and in the future, then when that future point comes and winning does become the most important thing, your team's not going to be ready for it. They're not going to know how to win games because learning how to win games is like learning anything else. It takes practice and this is that practice. And whether or not it pays off in 2022, 2023, or 2024, the reps they're putting in right now are important and they need to go out each and every Sunday and try to win that game so they learn how to win games. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think um, it was uh, Herm Edwards who said it probably the best. You play to win the game. You don't want to see them come out and just hunt it for next season. Um I think what's also important to keep in mind is, you know, I, I don't know the exact percentage, maybe 80% of the people on the roster, uh, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot did not like sign and that might be lowballing it. Um, so for a lot of these guys, um, this is still a tryout for them to see, okay, should we keep this guy going forward? Um, is this a guy we need to keep around sort of thing? And in these kind of games where, you know, there's no better test than, actual NFL action that you're not going to see yep. in practice or even the preseason. Um, so over these, you know, last couple games here uh, or the last half of the season, a lot of these guys are going to have to prove themselves to see what the future is like. For example, Jalen Hawkins. Um, I think he's a guy who can prove, uh, Hey, I can be a starting safety for you guys. I, I think to this point, he's proved that, but there's still, you know, half a season ago, uh, Richie Grant, young safety, has he shown enough to where they can feel comfortable going forward with, with him? AJ Terrell has blown, you know, expectations yep. to where he's okay. He can be our corner corner number one going forward. And if you decide to tank, um, those are kind of things that you're not going to see because you're literally pulling the plug. Um, you're, as you mentioned, will you're killing the culture, so to speak. Yep. If uh, what little of it is there. So you don't want to like, you know, just completely tank. If you want to talk about the draft, I think that's fair. Um, but they're one win away from being 500. The NFC is uh, not loaded. I mean, they're top heavy, but I think I saw the Panthers are technically the seventh seed right now. So, I mean, that tells <laughs> you like the Falcons yeah. aren't out of the playoff hunt. Um, I think the looking ahead at their schedule, it's a little tough. There's probably my, like two games where you can actually feel comfortable about them winning going forward. Um, I'm speaking about Jaguars and the lions, the rest kind of toss ups and definite losses for the most part. So yeah, I I'm, I'm not ready to talk about the draft. I've I, last year, it made sense because you fired your head coach. You, you probably weren't like, usually that doesn't result in a playoff run or a super bowl 
uh, <laughs> appearance. So that made a little more sense. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near thinking about the draft right now. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I think inherently by choosing to, uh, value future investments in the team, you are devaluing past investments. Mm-hmm. And that would mean players like AJ Terrell and Deion Jones and Jalen Hawkins and Michael Walker and Calvin Ridley and all of these, even Matt Ryan. I mean, like at some point when you just say, look, we're going to, we're packing things in to focus on the future. That means, look, the guys that aren't here yet are more important to us than the guys that are. Mm-hmm. And locker rooms don't jive with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that doesn't fly when you've got a bunch of, of grown adults who are look, look, they get paid well, but, but the job security, not great. And so yeah. they're kind of sitting here saying, look, man, I gotta, I gotta look out for myself. I gotta make sure that I can put food on the table for my family, that I know where I'm going to live next year. My kid is in school. You know, I, I need to make sure that they can stay with their friends through fifth grade, you know, all yeah. the, all of that stuff. Um, so that's real, but not to keep you on the draft, Evan, but we got a yeah. we got a couple more draft questions. Um, okay. One, if Matt Ryan stays for the next few seasons, do we go and draft a wide receiver? Uh, the other, what's the biggest draft need do you see at this point in the season? Um, one more said, where's Frank Darby? Because wide receiver, I guess, was was brought up earlier, and Frank Darby is the most recent draft pick at wide receiver, and you're the injury guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I figure we could wrap those three into one. Do you want to start with Darby? Do you have any... Um, I have no idea. Information? On <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, the Falcons could use all the receiving help they can get. Um, Russell Gage is, you know, last week against the Panthers. I'm not, like, I was kind of confused afterwards looking at the stat sheet because he had zero targets, and you would assume he'd be wide receiver one with uh, Calvin Ridley not playing. And he had zero targets. Um, then he popped up on the injury report with a groin injury that kept him limited. Um recording this on Thursday night and he is a full participant. So we'll see on Friday, um, assuming he'll, he, he should play this weekend and we'll see how he's used. Um, but yeah, that's a good question. Cause I have no idea what, what the point's been with Frank Darby or where he's been uh, to be honest at times. I've forgotten about him um, just because <laughs> he has, you know, I think going into the season, a lot more folks expected to see, you know, something of him. Um, yeah. but yeah, he's just been a absolute non-factor this season. So I, I wish I had more exciting answer there, but yeah, I have no idea. Do you, do you suspect anything with that? Uh, I mean, outside of the, look, we, we've seen Arthur Smith, uh, has been reluctant, I think, to throw young guys out there. I, I mm-hmm. think it's, it's now interesting when I talk about looking back at kind of the whole picture and I, I talked about the season earlier and, and maybe the record and the way things broke at certain times and and just having the whole picture in hindsight, we can kind of look back now in the off season and like Dan Quinn did in his first off season, they brought in a lot of veterans and mm. that 2015 class. I don't think the Falcons relied on as many young players as they did in 2016. Certainly. I mean, that 2016 team full of rookies, um, but also some second year players who stepped up. Uh, Tevin Coleman, I believe, was was part of that 2015 class who didn't get a ton of run in uh, as a rookie. But then in his second year before he got hurt, was going to be the starting running back for that Falcons team. Um, so I, I wonder if there's a little bit of that going on where it's just as a new head coach coming in, you don't always have the best feel by the time the draft comes around same with the front office uh the falcons did a good job of keeping a lot of the front office personnel guys anthony robinson who i think extremely highly of is is still working there um as are a number of other guys uh and so i'm sure that they had been keeping tabs on everything throughout Mm -hmm. all of the stuff that was going on for atlanta last season but the coach the the gm may not 100 know everything like the back of their thumb so that first draft can often be finicky um my guess is that Arthur Smith trusts Tajay Sharp, a player who he has had before, like Kyle Shanahan had had Tyler or Taylor Gabriel and Mohamed Sanu previously. Like there's just a comfort level there. Um, so I, I think that maybe this season is a little bit of a red shirt for Frank Darby. 
mm-hmm. perhaps they get him in on special teams moving forward. But yeah, I, I never I never really expected too much from Frank Darby this year. That's just <laughs> generally teams yeah. when you're when you're drafting a receiver in the sixth round. It's a little bit of a moonshot. Um, but what do you what do you think right now for the Falcons? Uh, first round of the 2022 draft. Which way do you think they should lean? Well, I mean, I know a lot of the folks listening would probably think quarterback, um, but I mean, I think Matt Ryan's done enough to where they're comfortable with him going forward. He hasn't been the, like a reason why they've lost games. Yeah, he hasn't had some you know good games here or there, but since week four, I mean, he's PFF's number two quarterback. Um, he's had a relatively good season, 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, you know, the stats, he's been accurate, 68.6, uh, completion percentage. I like what I've seen from him. I haven't really seen that, you know, what we saw with Drew Brees, where it just seemed like he hit a wall and was like, okay, you gotta, he's gotta retire or something. I have, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, um, I just haven't seen that this year. Matt Ryan I think he's still you know being a reliable quarterback he's not great yeah I mean he's not going to be the guy um you know I don't know how long he intends to play but it's not like he's going to magically transform into like Josh Allen or something you just have to take him for what he is um he's a veteran quarterback who understands the game he's not going to majority of the time be the reason you lose a game um but when he's hot he's hot um but also, you just got to look what he's working with. I mean, having no Ridley, he's got a young tight end in Cal uh, Pitts who he's still, you know, learning to trust. And I think over the last couple games, um, especially against the Jets, where Calvin Ridley didn't play in that game, and you saw he kind of at times forced it into Cal Pitts. Um, and I think he's just learning to get used to these guys. I think Tajay Sharp's another guy he's starting to trust. Um, you saw last week where he was, you know, top receiver uh that wasn't a running back so yeah i i just it's one of those years where it's easy to probably just throw it on matt ryan because he's the quarterback (laughs) of this team but from broadly looking at it i think he's just done he's you know if you were hoping to get another year matt ryan i think he's done enough to kind of earn that but i don't i obviously don't know what arthur smith and fontenot were thinking um but the fact that they kind of passed on this crop of quarterbacks in the past draft probably tells me they feel a little, you know, if they felt comfortable with Matt Ryan at that point where they weren't even coaching him yet, I can only imagine what they think now where he's, you know, putting up good numbers and he's been reliable. Yeah. I I mean, I think that look, Matt, Matt has played as well from a decision-making standpoint as I've seen. Uh, I know he threw two interceptions this past week. Um, I put one of those on Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that if you compare this year to 2015, when he was really first kind of learning this style of offense, where you sell the play fake, turn your back to the defense, then have to reset your feet and reanalyze and scan the field. Uh, Matt, I don't think was very comfortable doing that. He had always been in a straight drop back system where he was keeping his eyes on the defense the entire time. I think that adjustment was a big one, but in 2016, it worked out flawlessly for him. Uh, and I think that his adjustment period has been much quicker this time around because he's already done it. I mean, it's been what he's been doing for the past few years. I think he's picked it up really quickly and has been a major strength for the Falcons. I think uh, if if we're still talking draft, biggest thing, pass rush, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not a strong uh, draft for pass rushers. This Seems past like year. a yearly thing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, right? Dude, oh my God. <laughs> but Falcons, uh, it seems Terry Fondo has said they're just going to add best player available. That's fine. That's fine with me. Honestly, the, the Falcons mm-hmm. need um, as much help on many different spots as they can get. And hopefully they're able to free enough uh, cap space up to just go get a proven pass rusher. Go right. get go get a guy who has done it for multiple seasons. Uh, not not necessarily a Dante Fowler, although I commend Thomas Dimitrov for for trying to go get something with the limited resources that they had, but go get a guy who's done it several, several years in a row. Um, and let's make it happen. Uh, last one, Evan, before we mm-hmm. get out of here, uh, how long do you think Calvin Ridley is going to be out? 
Um, it's tough because, I mean, if you saw his statement, it was kind of open-ended. It didn't seem like there was like an exact timeline. Um, the problem with mental health, it's, it's not like a bone injury where it's like, you can kind of look at other people's scenarios and be like, okay, well, if he's got a, you know, if he's tweaked his ankle or something, he's going to be out two weeks or something. Um, we, for one, we don't know the exact specifics. It's just mental health related, which. I mean, that could, with the, he said in the, in his statement, it's been lasting for a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm assuming it just kind of hit a bolt, a boiling point, um, where he had to step away and I commend him for that. Um, when he actually comes back though, it's a toss up. Um, it, it, but the one thing I've noticed, um, given the lack of information we have about the whole situation, Arthur Smith hasn't said, oh yeah, he's out for the season or, oh yeah, he's coming back this week. I don't think the coaching staff even fully knows. Um, but obviously, you know, it's an old cliche. Some things are bigger than football. And I think it's important for Calvin Ridley to kind of step away and handle whatever he's dealing with right now. Um, but when the time's right, he'll come back. I don't think it should be any uh, kind of tarnish on his character or anything like that. Um, mental health is something that we're continuously learning about in a modern world where uh, athletes and movie stars and famous people in general have to deal with a lot like us regular folks, but they're put on, you know, this platform where if Calvin Ridley has a bad day at the office, he's going to probably hear about it easily because everyone on TV is going to talk about it. Everybody on social media is going to talk about it. Um, and I can only imagine the kind of pressure uh, that comes along with something like that. So yeah, I just, I hope he takes care of himself. Um, whatever he's dealing with. Again, we don't know the specifics, but it's 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 good to see you know somebody man up and, and say you know what I need to step away because I need to get things in order with uh, my mental health and and that's what he's done and when he comes back he comes back I, I'd love to for him to come back this weekend but you know yeah we can't be selfish with the man's you know mental health he'll come back when when he's good and ready yeah and I mean that's that's exactly what my answer would be is is that he will come back when he feels he's ready to. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what ultimately should happen. For mental health, I mean, they're going to have to rely on the player. And, mm -hmm. and perhaps, you know, some of these teams probably do have therapists, you know, um, psychological experts. I know that they put them through tests to uh, strengthen their ability to make decisions in small amounts of time. So they are doing some kind of mental training. But I have no idea if that's psychological i have no idea if that's about mental health um and frankly i'm not equipped to to speak about that so calvin ridley will return whenever he is able um and i really do think that the falcons stand behind that because arthur smith was asked a question about aj terrell but i kind of felt like this answer was speaking a little bit to the calvin uh ridley situation as well and arthur smith said my concern is with every player on the roster it's really practical Every player we have in here, whether it's an injury that's visible or invisible, we care a lot. So that's a reason for every player on this roster, every coach on this roster, everybody in that building out here that works for the Falcons. Basically, they're, they're going to take care of anybody who, who wears that ATL on their chest um, and, and look out for them as people. And I, and I applaud that. Uh, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, and I think Calvin Ridley... Look, he didn't have a great start of the season. Obviously, he's dealing with a lot of things. Um, I, I think we deserve to give him patience. I'm not certainly ready to uh, see the end of Calvin Ridley's career with the Falcons, even though I know this is a contract year for him. Um, let's give him a little bit of time, guys. Yeah, I agree. All right, Evan, uh, this has been a fantastic podcast. Thank you yeah. so much for hopping on with me. Um, again, everybody can find you at Evan Birchfield, spelled with an I, B-I-R-H, yeah. um, <laughs> at the Falcoholic. All of the amazing guests that, that the Falcoholic Live gets on, you didn't mention that. You're uh, usually oh. responsible for those guys. <laughs> um, so, so he's the man. Pay no attention to the man behind the, uh, right. the, the curtain, curtain but <laughs> in this case, uh, actually do. <laughs> you got anything else to, uh, to say before we get out of here, Evan? No, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, 
all you know one shout out i'm not a baseball fan i don't i don't know if you are will but uh shout out to the the braves fans you know i'm i'm it was good to see um i only have one sports team and it's the falcons unfortunately um i wish i had the strength for more (laughs) um but it was nice to kind of experience the joy and excitement that a, a lot of the brace fans I know and saw on Twitter and, you know, everywhere on social media experiencing uh, the world series win. Um, maybe not, you know, maybe not the same uh, as a Falcons win in the Super Bowl, but I think it's something to kind of be excited about that. You know, if you want to believe, Oh, they broke the curse because they won in Houston, <laughs> you know, as some have put it, um, <laughs> That's one thing I, I guess you could put your hat on, but um, yeah. just in, enjoy your, you know, World Series win. Um, just a huge achievement. And, you know, I think the Atlanta uh, city in general and other, resi- you know, fans of Atlanta teams, um, we, you know, you earn, you earn this. Um, so just enjoy. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Well said, my friend. I, I, <laughs> absolutely. Atlanta Braves fans, Atlanta sports fans rejoice yeah this is a good time this is the hawks eh, four and four as of the the taping of this podcast i know they're playing a game right now but high expectations uh the falcons are let's hope they're in the 2015 of things you know that's the way i'm looking at it and what was right around the corner a super bowl run baby so maybe good things are ahead for us atlanta falcons fans as well but salute to the Atlanta Braves fans, I consider myself one. Congratulations to all of us. Congratulations to Evan Birchfield for his first appearance on the Believe in Falcons podcast. Hopefully many more to come. Many, many, <laughs> many more. Many more. Many, 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 Any t- many Anytime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but today's podcast presented, as always, by Bet Online. Evan, thank you so much for joining me and... Thank you guys for listening. Please like and subscribe. Let your friends know. Let your hated Saints fans know. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.